Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 402 of Longbox Heroes. I'm Todd, joined with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I'm doing good, Todd. I'm going to put some extra podcast talk up front here, like we talked about podcast stuff on After Dark last week. Right, right. You may have already known this. Okay. Uh, but listening to the Dana Gould Hour podcast, I did not know that Jackie Gleason was a big fan of the paranormal. Oh, yeah, he totally believed in UFOs. Well, there's a crazy story that uh, Nixon took him to one of the crash sites, like one of the places where they had pieces of the ship and aliens and all that sort of jazz. Right. So if Jackie Gleason says it, if Buford T. Justice says it's true, it's true. Right. I And that's the thing. It was. You, you think a guy lives a fascinating life with just his showbiz career, <laughs> right? And then you like, then you just like scrape the surface of the other stuff that went on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all very interesting love- stuff as a follow up from After Darks that people don't listen to. Well, not love- everybody listens to the the numbers here on the main show are higher than they are over on After Dark. Right. I would love to have been in a room with Jackie Gleason and Dan Aykroyd. That's the dream right there. But this this is more after dark conversation. I should have brought it up. Right, we should have. We should have. We got comic book stuff to talk about. Tons and tons of comic book stuff to talk about. Tons. That's right. There was a ton of news this week. Uh, big time creator changes job titles or jobs. I'm confused. I can't wait for you to break it down for me. Um, Marvel announces a new cosmic book with an amazing title, and also a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant book I hear is coming out. Um, a cult show gets a comic, a comic imprint that's very near to dear to my heart, and I believe your heart too, Joe, is hopefully getting a resurrection like the Phoenix from the Ashes, and also um. The birth of our nation this year, the 4th of July, we're going to celebrate by getting comic books. And what comic books will be out that morning at midnight, both Marvel and DC. I love a good midnight sale. And a 4th of July midnight sale? Fantastic. Um, Also, free digital books and sales. Con news. What we read last week, which was Immortal Hulk number one. Doctor Strange number one. Slew of number ones. And also... Dr. Star number four, which I believe only you read. I'm interested to hear all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're looking forward to this week. I believe I have a few art attacks too. Ooh. And at the end of the show, at the end of the show, we'll have spoiler filled talk of both episode one and two or uno and dos because we're bilinguini on this show. Um, of cloak and dagger. And I may have seen a little movie called Deadpool two over the weekend. Did you lose a bet? No, I won a bet, Joe. Next time that you go to a movie like that, you need to let me know so I can go case your house. Case case the joint. That's right. Then you'll be in the then you'll be in the police blotter and you don't need that. Oh, I check it every day. <laughs> I've heard. So uh I don't know, let's get into the big news, I guess. Uh everything that's going on over at DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it appears as though uh, Jeff Johns left his position at DC as 
CCO, which I always get confused and kerfuffled on like COO, you know, CEO, CCO, right, right. REO Speedwagon. Uh, now this, this is also, uh, we didn't mention it because I think it happened like kind of like in a in between time. Mm hmm. Uh, that Diane Nelson also stepped down as well. So, yes. Essentially, what's just happening is the hierarchy of things used to be Diane Nelson, Jeff Johns, Dan DiDio, Jim Lee. Whatever their titles are, that was like your one, two, three, four. Mm-hmm. Diane Nelson has gone completely. Johns is still at DC, just not in a position of power as he was before. The Dio and Jim Lee, by doing nothing, have moved up the ladder. Mm, falling I, upwards. Right. I think Jim Lee is now CCO, and he's co-publisher with the Dio. Right. But with Jeff Johns, they say he's out of DC Entertainment. No. In charge? He's not in he's, charge anymore. He, right. He's he's right. He's no longer there in like a position of authority. Mm-hmm. Um, like he can't like fire and hire people, but he's still doing books because I guess he's doing a Shazam book. He's doing the Green Lantern Corps movie, right? Uh, he's doing a treatment of Wonder Woman two movie, and then he is doing one of his own imprints, which we'll talk about some of the other DC imprints. He's gonna have his own imprint, which I think is called Killing Zone. Right, that's what I heard. It's gonna be. So again, I think this is so. Jeff Johns has always been a topic of discussion on this show, going all the way, all the way, all the way back to Three Guys from Nowhere Days. Right. Uh, because he has, you know, kind of, over time, become one of the most recognizable creators in all of comics, at least in the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years. Definitely. So, again, he's always going to be a topic of conversation. All the way back to then, I always remember those times where it was like, He's good at four books. Four books is his limit. Mm-hmm. Once that fifth book gets announced, you know something's going to be falling off soon. Which is with a lot of great writers. Right. But there's other writers that are like, well, I have 17 books coming out. Or <laughs> there's just other writers here. that like, I just have one book coming out. Everybody has their own different workload. But right. for the longest time, Jeff Johns' workload has always been four. Mm-hmm. And I think... This cre- this uh, leadership position that he was in at Warner Brothers slash DC was not allowing him to be as creative as he ha- has been. Right, but I bet you it was allowing him to cash bigger checks. I'm sure that it was. And now that he probably has that, you know, house checks... He could probably just have like, you know, now I could just let some like ease back, write comics and just have like, you know, concert ticket checks, you know, just to do that. Like, because he, he's, he's, you know, he doesn't have to have all that, that big money. And I think somebody brought it up to me and I forget who it was, whether it was the fancy gentleman or it was the summer you was like, do you think it has to do with like all this and him getting his own imprint that Brian Michael Bendis is on his turf now, something to keep him happy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, you're, you were doing all this. Well, what, what he probably really does love to do is write. And now he gets his own imprint. So I don't know. It seems like they're, you know, the, you know, the, the, the old guy on the block, you know, has the new guy coming in and they're trying to keep everybody happy. 
Right. Now, and again, you talk about money, of course, but having his own imprint, and, you know, Bendis has his own imprint at DC, and I'm sure this is one of those things where it could have very well been DC saying, hey, who else do we have here that's on the level of a Bendis that we can kind of do this imprint thing that we're doing? You know, they have the three different uh, younger readers' imprints, like Ink and Zap and Zip and Flap or whatever they're called. <laughs> And the zipping and the zapping and the bipping right. and the bopping, right? Uh, you know, Bendis' stuff, uh, Jinx World. You got Black Label, which we'll be talking about in a little bit. Um, you know, Vertigo, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit, and then Killing Killing Zone, of course. Now John's thing. So you have all these different chunks, of course, that are kind of, you know, these are the types of books that you're going to be getting in these part of things. Like, if you don't like DC Comics for whatever reason, but you like Jeff Johns, that's okay, because Jeff Johns is over in this little corner writing his own stuff. Come back and read Jeff Johns' stuff. Hey, maybe you don't like Brian Michael Bendis and whatever he's doing or not doing with Superman right now. Well, hey, here's Bendis doing this sort of thing. And hey, Frank Miller, we don't want him touching any of the main continuity stuff. He's over here. You know, like, Elseworld stuff is going to be over here. So maybe it's just DC trying to strengthen their brand with all of these different imprints to make themselves look larger. But I think the fact that he's out of that leadership position and is more involved on the movie side again... Now, granted, the last time that he was involved on the movie side of things, we got the Ryan Reynolds Green Lantern movie. But now that he's involved with the upcoming Green Lantern Corps movie and the Wonder Woman 2 movie, having a more direct involvement with those movies instead of, you know, people in the past like Bendis or like Quesada or like Brubaker, it's like, oh, we're going to, you know, essentially take your Bucky storyline, the character you know, the iteration of this character that you created, turn him into a movie, and we're going to give you a, you know, a credit at the very end of the movie and a token role in one scene, right? Mm -hmm. Which I'm sure is great, but if your name is higher up on that list on the credits, right? like your name might appear on the poster because you were like a, you had a pass at the script or something, mm -hmm. I think that might get you a little bit more money if the Green Lantern Corps movie hits, if the Wonder Woman 2 movie hits than what being the president of, the, you know, this division of the company does. Right. And then I'm also thinking, too, like, one, I wonder who's going to get first crack at those scripts. What movie company? Could right. it be Warner Brothers? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, like, he has that. He has that in his back pocket. He's like, I work for this, and I work, you know, with the Warner Brothers movie stuff, so he's got his inroad. And, two, the thing that's the most intriguing that we've talked all about this, hmm. has Jeff Johns ever done something that was not superhero? Has he ever done anything that was not Marvel or DC? Like big, super, like he did Avengers and and whatever over at Marvel. And you have the myriad and myriad of stuff that he did at DC. But like he doesn't like you look at Jason Aaron, you look at like Brubaker, you look at look at all the big names. They have all these projects outside of the superhero genre, or even just the, if they if not outside the superhero genre, their own creator own things. But Jeff Johns. I can't think of one thing that he's done that's not a company property. Right. So I just think that's cool. Like, I want to see Jeff Johns write a crime mystery or a Western or something. Like, because I've never seen him do that. And he's such a good writer that it blows my mind that I think about it now. I've never seen that. Mm. 
So I hope he has like some interesting different takes to see see what his chops are, to see how he stacks up against uh, a Brian Kavon, uh, a Jason Aaron, or uh, because does he have the range or is he just a superhero guy, Joe? And if you are just a superhero guy, that's not bad. Oh, I'm not saying, but I'd like to see, wouldn't you? Yes. Okay. So maybe this new imprint at DC will shake that out. Now, I know we mentioned a couple of the other imprints here before. Uh, we mentioned Black Label, which has come up on the show before a bunch of times, as has Batman White Knight uh, by Sean Phillips, which Todd enjoyed the uh, eight-issue miniseries. Uh, that book now is the first official retroactively book <laughs> of the Black Label imprint. Didn't I say that should have been the first Black Label book? You did. And now, do you think they're listening to me? You think they're listening to this podcast show? I think they get the feed where it's just you. Oh, that's a good feed, boy. Right. That was back in the Audacity days. We were at a mashup two separate files. None of that fancy editing for me. None of that, no. Maybe me someday. Right, no. No. That's too much work for you. So, you know, I think there was, the, what was the Frank Miller Superman book was supposed to be the first book? Mm-hmm. And then that got delayed with no future date announced. Maybe it's going to get announced in October, right alongside when White Knight comes out in trade. Right. Um, another thing coming out this October is the attempted rebirth, relaunch, what have you, of Vertigo. Resurrection is what right. they call it. Uh, I guess they're saying it's the 25th anniversary, and they do this every anniversary time with with Vertigo. They try to give it uh, some sort of new... Fresh coat of paint. Yeah, you know, they're trying to rebuild it where over the last couple years, it's not been as strong as it has been in the past. I think the peak of the last couple years was probably Snyder's, what was the vampire book? American, American Vampire. vampire. And then all around that, it's been just valleys. That was the peak. I think the end of Fables was kind of, you know, the end of Vertigo really being a place to be for creators. Mm -hmm. But I think that has less to do with Vertigo and DC and more to do with the growth of everyone else. Mm -hmm. That if you have this story to tell, then you could tell it anywhere. It doesn't have to just be at Vertigo. Right, and I heard rumors oh. that back with, with Vertigo, allegedly, that they were only looking for stuff that they could, could you know, opt into movies or TV that wouldn't break the budget. Like, we didn't want anything, like, we wanted everyday stuff there for a while. Like, you had to be, like, not special effects heavy if we were going to opt it into to Warner Brothers. I wonder if that, like, was a true story or not. But. That's right. interesting. Right. Uh, but yeah, all these books are coming, uh, you know, October, November, December, like the, the last half of this year upcoming. Uh, I'll be honest with you, it's not a lot of creator names that I recognize, a few here and there. Um, I know Mark Russell has been doing stuff at DC for a little bit. Um, a lot of the artists I recognize more so than anything else. Uh, Robbie Rodriguez has done a lot of stuff. I know Ramon Villalobos. Uh, has a very unique, very almost Frank Quietly artist style. Uh, but we're still a ways away from any of these books coming out, and I certainly hope that DC does give them the props, because it's so tough to remember back to when Vertigo 
launched because they just sort of if I don't if I remember correctly they didn't really announce anything new right off the bat they took kind of the weirder it, stuff that already existed in DC mm-hmm. proper and just moved it over to this new imprint right there was existing titles it was basically Swamp Thing Doom Patrol Sandman Constantine Hellblazer, yes, was one of them. And I think Shade uh, the Changing Man might have been in there. Right. I don't know if Shade was long for the world after that, but it was. But they just basically took. But now when a lot of the stuff that became popular for Vertigo, like we're saying we don't recognize a lot of these creator names. Like, did you know who Garth Ennis was before Preacher? You know, like. I, I think know I knew Neil, of him. Right. Neil Gaiman. I didn't know who he was before Sandman. Um, I'm trying to think of like some of the other ones. All right, Warren Ellis with Transmap, but that was Helix before it was Vertigo. Um, you know, like so. I'm hoping one of these uh, could jump out and become like like be that that tent pole that 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 you know holds up Vertigo. And I'm looking at it. The the three that jump out to me that I'm really interested in is Hex Wives, um, American Carnage. And Second Coming. And Second Coming, to me, feels like something that, out of all of them, very uh, vertigo-y. You know what I mean? Like, if that's a weird way to put it. Uh, but these are all things that could have been an image. And this is, I'm hoping, you know, that Vertigo can get a leg up and compete with Image again. Right. Uh, I kind of lean the same way with you on which ones look. Um... You know, I think that uh, American Carnage book, like, if you see that cover, that kind of pops. Yep, that's what I'm going by. I can only go by the covers right, right now. you know, because that's all we have. The co- the cover for Second Coming looks a little not... It looks a little too superhero-y. Right, right. I know what you're saying. But I but who knows? think... It, okay, so r- r- the real test on this is going to be is... Um, you know, obviously Sandman, the Sandman universe books are going to be the things that's going to kind of float this line, right? Right. The main thing I think that they need to do with these books is give them the opportunity to finish. They cannot cancel these books. Like, we've heard horror stories in the past uh, at DC, most specifically where creators knew a book was being canceled at issue six before issue one was even on the stands. Right. If these stories, if this is a six issue miniseries, if this is a 12 issue series, if this is a 20 issue series, not say, hey, we need you to fill this out to X amount of issues. I have the story. It's 20 issues. Right. You give this person those 20 issues to tell that story. I disagree with that. Okay. But I believe you should give the book a chance. They, they okay. They need to because, give the book a chance, and they need to give these books as much of a push or as much as publicity as as much as anything else that the Sandman books are going to get. I agree. I look at it as, and, and I don't know if you know this, Joe. It's also a business. Comics what? are a business. I don't. I don't know when it became a business, but like. You have to give them so much. These writers have to go in with an idea that they want to do this many books, but they have to have an out after 12 as far as I'm concerned because you cannot, you cannot, you know, bandage a gaping wound 
and just go, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna keep, we're gonna keep going. I get it. But Vertigo's big thing back in the day was we gave these books the best, like the best chance. That, right. they, that they could go. I remember Neil in, a, in an interview for Sandman. He goes, I literally thought we were going to be, I had a 70 some issue run ready to go, but I had an out at 12. He goes, I thought we were legitimately going to make it to 12. And he goes, I set everything up in those first eight issues. And I was like, I can write my way out if I, if I have to in the next four issues. And, and I think that that's what they have to do. And that's what they need. To, okay. And then that's what they need to do. With these writers, that if this guy comes to them and says, this is six issues, this is 12 issues, this is whatever many issues, okay, if it's 20, if it's 30, if it's 40, if it's whatever, they it's the editor and the publisher's job to say, listen, we need to be realistic about this, we'd love for this book to go this full run. Mm-hmm. If it had to end at six, could you end it at six? Let's see what that looks like. If you had to end it at 12... Could you end it? Let's see what that looks like. Let's be prepared. Let's work together to be prepared instead of... Okay, so maybe in in that respect, instead of surprising the creator of like, oh, hey, listen, um, you know, we said we we're going to give this book the full the full run, whatever the full run is. Issue one's out next week. Yeah, book's canceled in six issues. Surprise. Mm-hmm. I don't... I would assume that those creators six, seven, eight years ago when they were told that, weren't told ahead of time that like, hey, be prepared for this to be done in six. Right. You know what that's called, Joe? Hmm. Editing. Okay. Editing. Good editing. That's what it's called. Now, and the only other one I want to mention more so is the DC is the recent Prez book, which was also done by Mark Russell. Whereas it was supposed to be a twelve issue miniseries, then it ended up being six issues, and then we're going to publish the other six issues some other time. And it ended in that. And then they're they're like, well, no, uh, you know what? It doesn't look like we're going to do the other six issues, but we're definitely going to do a one shot to kind of wrap everything up. And then that one shot ended up being a, like, I think, eight page part of a Catwoman election special two years ago. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, here, playing devil's advocate here, Joe. Okay. It's, that's all, all that was supposed to happen. It kept getting whittled down and it kept getting whittled down and it kept getting whittled down. And like we said, we don't know when it happened, but comics became a business. Um, do you think maybe they just crunched the numbers and they went like, yeah, you know what? Like we said this, but like, it is not worth it. Like, and then I tell people who are like, oh, well, you know, maybe you could have kickstart the book, fund it. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes, I do. And I, I agree. But don't make promises mm-hmm. and then renege on them for whatever reason. At the end of the day, comics are a business. Yes. But don't tell the comic buying public, the creators, whatever, the people involved in this book that we're going to we're gonna give this the 12-issue run. Mm-hmm. And then only do six and say, we're definitely going to do the other six later. And then we're definitely going to do a one-shot. And then just kind of hide the rest of the material somewhere else. <laughs> Didn't hide it. They put it in a eight-page one-shot. Uh, sorry, in a one-shot. Right. And it was probably slathered all, of the, over, all over the cover of the Catwoman book that said, find out how Prez ends here. Remember that book that we canceled two years ago? Right. Remember, I think the creator found out how it ends in there, too. Right. <laughs> it's like, what? So, moving from DC and Mar- into Marvel a little bit, DC's big summer release is the big Batman Catwoman wedding. I know Todd has already pre-ordered 
all the variant covers, all the tie-in <laughs> books, all the mini series and everything else. He's ready to go. I'm actually more for the tie-in books because they seem fresh. But we're gonna do a whole show on the on the variants of Batman someday on the the wedding. On the wedding. That's issue. not that's not today. So the wedding issue comes out the first week of July. Uh, comic release day is July 4th. One would assume that many shops are going to probably be closed on July 4th since the national holiday. So Spoiler alert, our shop's going to be open. Oh, no way! I have it on good authority that uh, that the bassist is going to be there, and there may be someone dressed up in a wedding gown or something. I don't know. Oh, Todd, I'm going to get that picture of you in that wedding gown, and you're going to look lovely. <laughs> That but marked be, photo? Because. because of that, DC is releasing, they're allowing stores to do a midnight release for uh, Batman number 50. Marvel, jumping on the date, is doing their Captain America number one, uh, written the new relaunch of it written by Tanisha Coates. They're also doing that as the number one. And, of course, both companies, Marvel and DC, say, yeah, you know, everything else could just be sold at midnight as well. We're going to look away. We're going to avert our eyes for a right. minute. So that is now becoming a big day uh, for comic release. And Todd, wouldn't you know who won the pony? That's also the be- the first week of the uh, beginning of the third quarter of sales. What? It's almost <laughs> like they knew what they were doing. Oh uh, my god! When did comics become a business? So. Can't say it enough. But mm-hmm. uh, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if because it's going to be a midnight sale. Uh, based on the recording schedule of the show, that we end up talking about one, if not both, of those books. Right. And what I think we should do is have a long box heroes cookout in front of the comic shop that day. Nah. Get a grill, serve some dogs and some burgers. I could bring my Italian ice cart. Oh, sell some pins and some shirts. Oh, there you go. What better way to celebrate the birth of our country? <laughs> Besides buying the new Batman and Captain America books, but by blowing up a small piece of it. Oh, yeah, I love it. And keep, hopefully keeping all your fingers on your hands at the same time. Raise your hand. Raise your hook hand. <laughs> You're a crook, Captain Hook. But anyway. Marvel also has some other announcements. We talked about all this DC stuff that they have coming up planned up until October, November, December with their imprints and everything else like that. Uh, D- Marvel is bringing back a much heralded, uh, canceled too soon book, uh, The Unstoppable Wasp by Jeremy Whitley, a book I was enjoying very much, uh, where it was taking, uh, Nadia Pym, the daughter of Hank Pym, mentored by Janet, the original Wasp, she's the new Wasp, and she was, like, going on these science adventures and, uh, Mockingbird was in the book, and all this cool stuff was in the book, and it was a nice, fun part of the regular continuity, but I would say almost like an all-ages, definitely geared-toward-girls book, and it was just one of those books that was selling okay, but in all of the rebirths and the renumberings and the everything else that was going on over in Marvel just kind of got lost in the shuffle and got canceled quietly. So you're telling me this book isn't about Blackie Lawless and his saw blade cod piece? I I wish it was now. <laughs> I would read that book. Uh, but no, I'm very glad that this book is coming back. Uh, I was getting my dinner uh, today, and this came across the wire, and I was very excited. Uh, this was a very good book. If you missed out it the first time around, 
Uh, you know, the trades are consistently in print and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy to see it return. Cool. I never read it, but if you enjoy it, I'm glad they're bringing it back for you. Now, not a return, but a debuting book that's coming out uh, this fall is written by Colin Bunn, who we at the show are big fans of, uh, with mm-hmm. art by Matteo Lolly, uh, spinning out of the Infinity Wars book. Now, Todd, are you mm-hmm. reading Infinity Wars stuff? No, I'm not. I've uh, my Infinity is if any any time they're called Infinity Stones, I'm out. I'm a gem man. Back in the day. I'm not going to sing he's a gem man right now, <laughs> but I just did. Um, but it's a it, right off the bat. I'm like, all right, it's Cullen Bunn writing something. I'm going to give it a whirl. Then I see the team mm-hmm. and the team is, uh, as I look at this here, Angela, who is, uh, you know, from the co-opted over from Todd McFarlane, <laughs> Neil Gaiman, Spawn stuff. She's now Thor's half sister. Valkyrie. Uh, Scourge, the Executioner, someone is in the Destroyer armor, there's your mystery, the, uh, Throg, as he's known as, uh, the Thunder Frog, and the man, uh, well, the son of Thunderstrike, who's on the cover with a very douchey hairdo. You know what? That all sounds good. I it's not quite there yet for me, man. If it just had a catchy name, maybe I'd be in. And Todd, what is the title of this book? Oh, it's uh, as Guardians of the Galaxy. I am in, Joe. That is a Todd of all Todd names. Oh boy. So this, I I have faith that this book will be fun. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long it'll go for. I hope it goes <laughs> on for a very long time. However, this is... I'm, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, so please, listeners, don't take it <laughs> in this fashion. Right. This was definitely a book that was crafted in a laboratory. And by that I mean, it was like, Guardians of the Galaxy's hot, Thor's hot, who from those properties and worlds are not tied up in other things right now? Let's mix them all together in this book, and let's have some fun. And that's what I hope this book is going to be fun, because I know Cullen Bunn has done wacky, weird, off-the-wall team books uh, in the past, uh, where he took the Defenders, where it was like Misty Knight leading a bunch of like street-level, uh, mm-hmm. you know, martial art types type uh, type theme lady heroes on the Marvel Universe, and then they became villains for hire instead of heroes for hire, and those were some really fun books. And just based on this team alone, I'm excited to see how the dynamic of all this is going to work. Right. I'm a cosmic guy, so I'm, I'm, I'm in there. All joking aside, I love the name, but I disagree with you how this book was made. Okay. You say this was concocted in a lab with all the hot things thrown together. I believe this book was concocted at the bottom of a bottle during a convention somewhere. <laughs> that's where this book was made. It was like, hey, I got an idea. We throg. We put throg with Angela. And that, I got the hook. It's called As Guardians of the Galaxy. And they're like, take that to the tar editor. And they're like calling him up at four in the morning. (laughs) Like, we got a book. And he's like, that's actually not that bad. And then they're like, put, and then like somebody in the background is yelling, put Thunderstrike in it, put Thunderstrike in it. And the editor is like, I've been telling you Thunderstrike has been dead 
He's like, uh, Thunderstrike's kid. I said his kid, right? Yeah, That's who I son said. of Thunderstrike. Yeah, son of Thunderstrike. He's in the book, too. Mm-hmm. That's how that book happened. Who, what do you think is more probable, mine or yours? Yours is much more probable. Okay, good. Uh, either way, it's on the poll list, and that's the most important thing. Mine too. The scary nightmare poll list that I cultivate. Oh, you should see my poll list. It's occasionally right. Oh, it was right <laughs> this week. Yes, it was, as far as you know. Yes. Uh, so one last thing, uh, of course, is another new book. And this is a book that, for me, feels like should have been made before. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised it hasn't been. That they're doing a comic book adaptation of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Okay. Where they're taking the new Netflix version. Uh, the folks that are involved with that, specifically Joel Hodgson. And they're going to be ripping on the best and worst of public domain comic books. Oh, my goodness. Right. Uh, so that right there is a great hook. <laughs> uh, the the variant cover where, where Crow is reading the comic book Tom Servo Teen Reporter. <laughs> and I mention this only because uh, the... Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, like, touring thing is coming to the area in October. Are we going? Uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's the end of October. It's not on a school night. It's not on your child's birthday. It's not on my child's birthday. Uh, and it is literally a half a mile from my house. Oh my goodness, you could literally roll there. I could literally, I could leave now, and I'll be there eventually by the time the show starts. Right, I'll give you a ride back. Oh, okay, um, good. And, and while we're there, if we do go, yes, ask a certain young lady at our comic shop if you want, if she wants you to get her uh, an autograph from Felicia Day. Um, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Because I don't like to purposely antagonize people. <laughs> what? Gentle or otherwise in the ribbing. Okay. Yes. And uh, I can only, uh, you know what? I'll just bring up that name casually in conversation the next time I see her. What? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for that. Uh, a lot of fun stuff being announced uh, upcoming here in the fall months. Yes. And so other places where you could find out about some fun announcements that could be coming up, it would be at a local convention in your area, Todd. Ooh, areas. I I like them when they're local. Oh my goodness. Well, none of these are local to us, but there's a lot of interesting uh, conventions going on this weekend. There's the Greater Austin Comic Con in Austin, Texas, where John Wesley Ship of Flash and Flash fame will be there. I hope he has the helmet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got two big, heavy uh, comic book ones, so I'm going to kind of... Just throw this one in here. The Supernova Comic and Gaming Convention in Sydney, Australia. Down under. Right. Very little big name on the comic book side, but on the media guest side, Todd. Richard Dreyfus, who this is maybe like the third time this year that we've mentioned him. We're going to need a bigger con. Mm-hmm. Chuck Norris is going to be there. Ho, ho. All other cons were, you know, couldn't contain him. And Kathleen Turner is going to be there. I have no joke for that. That is fantastic. 
it's just very interesting the names that are starting to make the rounds in the convention circuit is all. Oh, man. Right. Uh, the other two biggies, though, is the Denver Comic Con uh, in Denver, Colorado. And I'll just say one of my neighbors in Denver, and I won't finish the rest of that. Uh, but that's a really super heavy uh, creator. One, Brian Azzarello, Frank Miller, Greg Capullo, Tom King, uh, Donnie Cates, Kevin Eastman. And then you've got a couple media guests sprinkled in there mm-hmm. uh, with Jason Momoa. Uh, Ten Ant is that going to be there? I said it in my he, notes as Ten Ant. I'm not really sure what that means. Yeah, he's the tenth of not uh, the tenth ant in the series of ants. Oh, like Fire Ant, Soldier Ant, Green Ant, all those ants that I know from Chikara days. Yeah, okay. Yes, yeah. Now you're getting it. He's not Bowtie Ant, is he? No, I don't know who is that he is. Fez Ant. Oh, you know he is. He is Purple Man Ant. Oh, I know who the Purple Man is. Right. Uh, but Greg Sipes is going to be there as well. Now, Greg Sipes, you're going to say, I don't know who Greg Sipes is. Greg Sipes is the voice of Beast Boy in the Teen Titans Go uh, cartoon, soon to be made into a major motion picture. When is that coming out? I keep hearing about that, and I'm like, July? is it out yet? It comes right. out July, I was going to say 13th, and July 13th is correct. Look at you knowing things. I'm excited. I love Teen Titans Go, and the fact that they have Will Arnett in there playing Deathstroke in the movie is fantastic. <laughs> okay, okay. That's all. So, the other one is Heroes Con in Charlotte, one of those uh, bucket listy Comic-Cons. I know Todd has been there before. That's where I bought my Flash 110, the first appearance of Wally West, the Kid Flash. I think I have a picture of it where me holding my Flash 110, and I believe Dave maybe got a Spider-Man 2 that weekend. Oh, boy. And I have a picture with Neil Gaiman where he leans into me. I don't lean into him. That's how cool I was back then. Do you have a picture of you with your arm around the copy of Flash 110? (laughs) I think I do. I think I do. Uh, But that's a huge creator one. No media guests there, but uh, Mark Bagley, uh, Steve Epting, Tony Harris. Uh, Carrie Nord, Kyle Starks, uh, creator of Rock Candy Mountain, Jim Steranko, uh, Joelle Jones, who's doing the upcoming Catwoman book. So two, I would say it's it's a it's a tie for me between the Heroes Con in Denver, if I had to pick one to go to this weekend, but just because Heroes Con is more established and it's one of those ones I'd love to go to, that's uh, that's the winner for this week for me. You know what I have to say, Joe? All joking aside, I I don't know whether I should say. Heroes Con is the Baltimore of the South. Oh, okay. Or Baltimore is the Heroes Con of the North. That's the kind of con. Well, do you know what I mean? Like, you know how you say you, you, you went to Baltimore and you loved it? It's not pushy. It's not hustle bustle. It's all comic. Um, now Baltimore has been sprinkling in a light sprinkling of media guests. But like we said, uh, the Heroes Con for all those years, that is like one of the last straight up Comic cons, you can get comic books, you can, you know, meet creators. I, I actually want to go back one of these years. After C2E2 next year, which is still looks like it's happening, um, Charlotte is, is, uh, Heroes Con we have to do. For some reason, I think Heroes Con, it, it sounds like an easier trip than C2E2 would be. Um, it's, your one is a two hour long, longer drive. But Chicago, the, the way I look at it, is a straight shot. Like, that is like one road 
one highway go where I remember being going down to uh, Charlotte being monotonous because of the, tra- like the, you know what I mean? Of the travel. I mean, where you're going, you're going to this road, then that one, then, then this, where Chicago, as my uncle used to drive truck from Chicago to, to think, he, whenever I told him about I want to go to C2E, he's like, Todd, he's like, Chicago is a breeze. He's like, it's a straight shot. I've driven to Chicago before, mm-hmm. and it is a straight shot, Todd. Right. Until you're about 10 miles into the city. Right, and that's what Tom's for. Oh. Tom loves driving in the big city. He's oh. the man for it. Oh, he is. Mm-hmm. I'm not. Saying, I draft. I'm not saying that I don't like it. I've done it before. I've driven in big cities before. Mm-hmm. But that's where a lot of your time can get eaten up as well. Yeah, but we'll go. I got it all figured out. I'm working on it. We'll move on. All right. Um. So. All the links to this stuff will be in the show notes. Uh, all these conventions, if you're in the area of any of these, um, you can check out more information about them, as well as information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, where anytime any of these shows come out, any of our friends, miscreants, ne'er-do-wells, hangers-ons, uh, well-wishers, etc., have their podcasts come out or or are on other people's podcasts, and they come out, we publicize them there, whether it be episodes of this show, Longbox Heroes, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Podvocacy, Everlasting Minute, Fresher and Parlance, which is back on a semi-regular basis, Puzzle Warriors 3, uh, Profane Arguments, all the shows in our umbrella, anytime that they decide to rear their ugly heads on a podcatcher of your choice, don't get them on the podcatcher, because I don't trust them, and neither should you, get them directly from soon to be named network.com or soon to be named network.tumblr.com. Yay! So there's a bunch of digital sales and freebies. The freebies have not changed since last week. Uh, A couple of the sales have held over from the previous week, like the Titan Doctor Who stuff, the Vertigo Fantasy stuff, the Dynamite James Bond, and the IDW Buy One Get One. They have since added... Sales on Garth Ennis stuff from Dynamite. Buffy the Vampire Slayer stuff from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, Things under the Infinity Watch label over at Marvel. And, of course, Infinity Stuff is Hot, based on the current Infinity movie that is currently on track to, I think, rake in one kajillion dollars. I think two kajillion dollars. Yes. Uh, most notably to mention from the sale is, uh, inf- you can get Infinity Gauntlet for four bucks. That's a good deal. A, a trade that retails for twenty, you can get for four. That's, that's less than twenty. Yes. And then on the DC side of things, they're having a sale on Robin related stuff. Now, Todd, I have to ask, it's been a while since we've gotten an update. Is this happening because we're getting some sort of update on the parentage of Robin in this Deathstroke storyline? No, as of right now, he's still technically a Bruce Wayne's son, but very heavy leanings to inf- people talking that uh, from good sources that he's Deathstroke's son. Mm. So I'll let you know if I hear any more. 
But there's a lot of interesting stuff in this sale. I'll point you, the listener, in the direction of such things as Batman Death in the Family, where uh, Jason Todd uh, may or may not perish in that book. Time will tell to see how that works out. Mm -hmm. Crowbars. Uh, Tons and tons of Chuck Dixon stuff, who was kind of the perennial Robin writer for a period of time. Uh, Most notably, the more recent Robin Year One uh, that he did. I think it came out sometime in the uh, mid-2000s. With Scott Beatty, right? Right, written by Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty, with art by Javier Pulido, which I'm a big fan of uh, Pulido's art. And it's certainly on showcase there. And there's tons and tons of other stuff. Pretty much anywhere that Robin has kind of uh, put his footprint down in the DCU over the last several years, it's all on sale. And Todd, wouldn't you know who won the pony, also included in this sale, is uh, Dark Knight Returns. Well, he was in that. There was a, well, there was a Robin. There was a Robin in that. That's correct. Carrie Kelly. But again, I, I mentioned uh, Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One, uh, First Trade of Sandman, First Trade of Fables, and First Trade of Preacher. Those books, those five, should just be perennially on sale in perpetuity over at the uh, old Comicsology. All definitely top five books. Right. That would be as, as crazy as like having that book be $2 one week and then like six days later changing the price to $2.50. Oh my God! I'd go. I maddening, Joe. Maddening. I would. I would spend at least fifteen minutes of a podcast complaining about that. <laughs> and this will make sense to you when uh, After Dark comes out on Friday. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. This is how we tease to try to get more people to listen to 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 both the shows. Right. So, Todd, I've talked a bunch, as I am wont to say, and plugging all this stuff, and of course, as mentioned, the sh- links are all in the show notes. Uh, let's get into what we uh, read from this past week. Sean Twee? Yes, I'm going to start with The Immortal Hulk, number one, by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. Um, basically, I'm not sure where, or if it was explained, but it looks like Bruce Banner is back um, alive, because last we knew he was killed in Civil War Two. Um, and he's, you know, out and about in the, in the country. And during a routine gas stop, somebody walks in and a, uh, bur- uh burglar, a, uh, robber decides to rob the store for cash and in it gets startled. Things happen, starts shooting everybody up in the store, um, kills the person that it looks like Bruce Banner. He's back. Um, the guy runs out. Uh, later on, they're at the morgues, you know, green light. Maybe he's changing into the Hulk. The sun's going down, though. Maybe, shouldn't he be changing when he's angry? But, uh, this guy who robbed the gas station goes back to, to take the money to the people he knows because he's in trouble. And along the way, like these thugs and bikers and stuff like that, someone shows up and it's the Hulk. It's the big green Hulk, but he seems kind of different. He's very, you know, like, like creepy, kind of angry about what he had done because this, this guy had killed a young girl. And at this point, Al Ewing is doing a great job of writing this book, but I want to say something because we don't often give the, the artists the credit that they deserve in this book, but Joe Bennett does a two page splash spread in this book about the Hulk talking to the kid who, who shot the, the little girl. And he's just screaming at him. He, she's, he's telling her his name and everything. And I'm like, this is a great, great two-page spread. It can't get any better than this. 
and then I turn the page, and he has another two-page spread, which is a close-up, and it's the Hulk, just a close-up of the Hulk on his face, and I get goosebumps. I'm like, I have not been impacted by a by art this way in a long, long time. And it just, it just blew me away. And then the Hulk is discussing what a monster is with this kid and the kids, you know, trying to, trying to kill the Hulk and it goes on. And in the end it's, is, is the, is Bruce the monster? Is the Hulk the monster? Was the kid the monster? I, I was talking last week on the show about how Al Ewing is hit or miss for me. Oh, and I got an earful about that. Oh, I heard through the grapevine. (laughs) Um, But let me just say, whatever I thought about Al Ewing before, this is the book, people. I don't say this often. This book gets the Todd nod. Get on this train now. This is the book. This book is, to me... I'm not going to say for speculation purposes because I never do that. But for a good read, and this is going to be the book people are talking about down the line, it is Immortal Hulk. Get on the train now. Todd told you. Don't miss it because I don't want to hear it. And I just kind of work backwards from some of the stuff that you said there. Um, This is not a slight on Joe Bennett. I think Joe Bennett is a good artist. I think he's kind of in that ballpark of your Mark Bagley type artists. Right. Where his art's never going to knock your socks off. You're never going to be blown away by it, but you're going to get absolutely perfect art for the story. Mm-hmm. Acceptable art for the story. I'm not saying acceptable in a bad way. Unflawed art. Are this. you saying... Is mm-hmm. the first time that I've been, as you mentioned, been blown away by Joe Bennett's art. Right. And I don't know if it was just Joe Bennett, but if this was really good. But I'm telling you that when you hit the, the two pages that I'm talking about, it is like a gut punch. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, because a lot of that might be the a writer telling the artist, but I'm with you. Joe Bennett to me was a, was like a seven, like of art. Uh, this is, to me, this is a 9.5. This is like, you almost can't do better than this for the story. And I think in a different book, it may not have had that same emotional gut punch as we, the reader, know the Hulk is right around the corner. Mm -hmm. And when we get the Hulk, it's still a surprise. Because the way the story is laid out. And Mm -hmm. I know a lot of this is being sold as a horror book, but I think it's more than that. I think calling this book a horror book is doing it a disservice. Fair enough. And I think this is a genreless book because it's so unique. And I mean that in the most perfect way. If you wanted to call this book a crime thriller... You could call it a crime thriller. If you wanted to call it a mystery book, it's a mystery book. You want to call it a horror, you can call it that. You want to call it a suspense book, you can call it that. And it hits all of these points, I think, so perfectly. Hmm, I think it hits horror suspense, definitely. I think it hits the mystery a little less because there's no real mystery here. Well, there is the mystery in the book of is this the Hulk? Oh, it is the Hulk. And we, know, and we know that. The reader knows that. 
Okay, I thought you were, yeah, right. No, no, again, we the reader knows that, but the police, ha- the, the one police officer knows and kind of tells the other officer, like, listen, we're not going to say this is the Hulk. We know it's the Hulk. Now, what are we going to do about this? Right. Because nobody I, can stop the Hulk. Where I think if there's anything in the mystery of this, it's how Bruce is back. Right. And like I said... Well, they kind of just give it a thing of like, well, Bruce is dead. Um, more so when this is, you know, back from the old days when he would come out at night, mm-hmm. that Bruce was shot. Whatever happened, it came to night and the Hulk just came back to life. Right. And brought Banner with him. That's right, as much is, as we're getting now. I'm which sure is, there's more to it. Right, which is the monster slash horror story, I think. Um, on top of, I don't know, there's a lot going on here. I agree with you. I just slightly disagree the, the, the mystery and the, and the crime at, uh, take on it. We'll have, I'll have to see for that. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like Marvel is going in interesting new ways. I, I definitely see Venom as more of a horror book than the Hulk. Right. Uh, but, uh, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of horror and suspense, especially when the Hulk is talking to the kid and after he does what he does to the thugs and the bikers or whatever you want to call them, you're like, oh, there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of suspense horror here as far as I'm concerned, but I want to see where it goes. I can't recommend this enough. This is one of those books like high, 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 high on my list. Now, another book, not to say that it's not high in the, high in the list, um, is, Doctor Strange number one, uh, mm-hmm. written by Mark Wade, new creative team. Mark Wade has written Doctor Strange before, uh, with art by Jesus Sayas. So the quick gist of this story is Doctor Strange in space. There's your like elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. To dig at the surface a little bit more is during the Jason Aaron run and during the Donny Cates run of the books. On Doctor Strange, magic on Earth has gone away. Doctor Strange fought to bring magic back to Earth, but he, in turn, has now lost his connection to the magic of Earth. Mm -hmm. In a conversation with Tony Stark, Tony Stark says, who's to say there's not what you call magic? I don't believe in it. But whatever it is that you call magic, who's to say that doesn't exist on another planet? Like He essentially says, this is the Marvel Universe. There's thousands of other planets. Why not go there searching for your magic? So that's what Doctor Strange does, and things don't quite turn out the way he hoped they would. Mm -hmm. While I enjoyed this book and I I liked it, I feel as though this is probably the lightest stakes that the Doctor Strange book has shown in quite some time. Wow, totally disagree. Okay. First of all, I'm going to talk about uh, Jesus Saez as we talked about Joe Ben on the last book, can't or I, I don't think you can argue uh, the art in this is fantastic. I, from when he was on Swamp Thing and he's done a lot of other things, he was on the Cap book for a little while during Hydra Cap. Uh, he just crushes everything that he does, the coloring, everything. I love that. But what I feel about this book is, and the other ones didn't give me Jason Aaron and uh, I didn't read the Donnie Cates. I actually wish I did now um, that, as this is going on, I have never felt the desperation 
the way I do in this book. Like, this book just just reeks of desperation with Stephen Strange losing magic as it goes on, where he's talking about his eye loses, like, one eye loses the ability to see any magic, and it's going, and it's going, and it's going. And he is just this man who wants to rekindle it, but he doesn't know how. And Tony gives him the idea, and then he's like, well, here's a thing. And he just goes into how much he hates driving because of what it reminds him of. Uh, losing his hands and becoming what, he, I don't know, there was just many layers on this book, and as much as I liked uh, Jason Aaron's uh, Doctor Strange, right out of the gate I liked this book better a Doctor Strange version better than I did Jason Aaron I thought Jason Aaron's was a little quippy for what we saw going on but I like the, the darkness to Steven in this one, which is more my Doctor Strange, and I like the premise. It's something different, but it's still fresh of Doctor Strange hunting out magic, but instead of different dimensions, he's going to different worlds. And I haven't been a big fan of what Mark Wade's been doing lately. I do, I'm not a fan of his cat book, other than the first couple issues of the run, and there was another book recently that he did that I wasn't too high on, but this I'm loving in one issue. I'm not saying that I didn't like it, but I just felt as though the stakes, not to say that they've never been lower, but they're much more isolated to just Doctor Strange, as you're saying. Where in the previous runs, it's like, this is all the magic and all the world is gone. Here's all these people. Here's all these Doctor Strange villains. Here's Clea coming back. Here's Dormammu. Here's this. And now all the magic is back in the world, and this is just a story about Doctor Strange. See, I was trying to see, was it just Doctor Strange or was it everybody? Because I thought he was saying to rekindle magic, I would bring, like, bring, like, rekindle magic as a whole, not just for him. Do you know what I mean? Well, it, I, I'm almost certain that magic is back. It's just he's losing, we see in the first, like, half of the book, him losing the ability to see magic as he once did. Okay. And he doesn't go to anyone else because, obviously, he's too proud to do so. Any of the other magic users in the Marvel Universe, which is why he goes and bothers Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. And there's, like, little things in here that I love. And I don't know if it's Jesus Saez or uh, Mark Wade. When he goes to see Tony Stark, Tony Stark's in a bar. Obviously, he's not drinking. But as an engineer, he's building this, like, creation out of olives and straws that is perfectly balanced kind of like an engineer like would and it's like little things that like that that make me love this book i don't know i i guess i just enjoyed it more than you do not saying i didn't enjoy it i'm just i think you and i are coming at it from different uh vantage points fair enough i'm i didn't like you know as we're saying i didn't say you didn't enjoy it i'm just saying i enjoyed it way more i think right right so uh, last book I want to talk about just briefly is Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrows, number four. This is kind of a spin-off book of uh, Black Hammer stuff, uh, the Jeff Lemire book over at Dark Horse, uh, the end of a four-issue miniseries where he's Jeff Lemire has been taking a break from the main book, and he's been doing these miniseries that still kind of touch into the main overarching world, but they're focused on one character. Maybe it's a character that we were introduced to once, or maybe it's a character we were never introduced to, or maybe it's a legacy version of someone else. Uh, he just did one recently that wrapped up, which was Sherlock Frankenstein and the Legion of Evil. 
Uh, that one is a little bit more closely connected to the main book, uh, which is now uh, going on in a miniseries called Black Hammer Age of Doom. I bring up Dr. Star because essentially this is, you take bits of Green Lantern, whether you're talking Golden Age or Silver Age Green Lantern, because there's bits of both, and Starman. There's even a variant cover for one of the books that very much looks and feels like an old Starman Tony Harris cover. Hmm. So it's a scientist, he and it's and it's you know golden age and modern age. So uh, Starman, you get a lot of these things mixed together, where you have your scientist, your Starman type character, uh, Jack Knight, where he creates this thing that allows him to travel into space. He fights alongside the heroes of World War Two. He goes off into space. He's gone for what feels like to him days, and it turns out he's gone for years. And he misses his son growing up. Mm. And now he's back, and his son is dying. Because that's how long he's been gone for. Every trip, every time that he goes to space, for days, years and years and years go by on our Earth. Is it old age with the kid or a disease? Uh, it looks like a both. Okay, but you know what I'm asking? Yes. Like when you say, because I didn't know if it was years, the kid could be 35 and still dying, or he could be 85 and dying. You know, that's what I'm more asking. And then him being Dr. Star, essentially Starman, going off into space, he has inspired all of these alien races that he's visited to essentially form, I forget what they're called in the book, but it's essentially the Green Lantern Corps in his image. Oh, cool. Where they all decide to be heroes like him, they all patrol different sectors in his honor, and they try to be more like him. Hmm. And now here he is, these people that he has inspired, where back on Earth, his wife left him because he left them, and his son is dying, and he could do nothing to save the only two people that mattered to him most in the world, but outside of the world, he has inspired countless and countless of galaxies to continue on doing good in his name. And then when he goes to them, to all of these different universes and all these different aliens for assistance in saving his son, none of them can help him. And the longer he goes and searches for this cure to save his son, the older and older and more sickly his son gets. Kind of a catch-22. Okay. To me, I've been away from it for a long time. These branching stories that Lemire is doing now... To me, this book, Black Hammer, has become the spiritual successor of what Astro City used to be. Okay. Where it's a little bit darker of a tone, it's a little bit like uh, the edges aren't, you know, because Astro City was a much more clean-looking version of the dark side of our favorite superhero analogs. Whereas Black Hammer is more of the dirty, grimy, filthy versions <laughs> Of all of our favorite, you know, analogs of all of our favorite superheroes. Got ya. It's a really fun book. I really enjoy it. Um, I'm, I am I hope this is a book. I know when we had Lemire on the show a few months ago, he said he has plans going for quite some time on this book. And I hope those plans are forever. Because I really enjoyed this book. And it fills that place in my mind and my heart that Astro City used to fill. Mm -hmm. As long as we get that... DC comic where he's writing an 80s continuity. That's what we need now. Him and, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Keith Giffen were working on it. That's right. Happy-go-lucky Keith. Later, <laughs> Captain Happy, later renamed Keith Giffen. <laughs> so, that's what we read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. 
If you head over to longboxheroes.com every Tuesday around 5.30 or so, we put out the poll post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, be ready to know what's coming out. Uh, I mentioned a little blurb here with this. A few weeks ago, we had one of those <laughs> weeks where it's like all these crazy books are all coming out on the same day. Any one of them is a top contender for pick of the week. And uh, we have another one of those weeks here again today. Yes, we do. There's a lot of cream at the top, Joe. So you started the show, sir. Yep, I'm looking over your list, and my phone is working this week. Um, now, normally, now this isn't my pick. I'll, I'll tell you when my final pick is there. Normally, I would take the fix, because that's what you do. Uh, but I am going to take... Gail Simone's Plastic Man number one is my pick of the week for you. You are wrong. What is it, The Fix? No. Oh, my goodness. Thor number one. Wow. I tell you, man, Jason Aaron Thor is like one of those top echelon books for me, man. And any other week, it would have been, Thor, you know, uh, Plastic Man number one. It would have been Hawkman number one was a top contender. Uh, you know, Venom number two even could have been in there because how strong Venom number one was. Uh, there, like I said, on, on my list, there's minimally one, two, three, four, five, six options that could have been top pick of the week. Mm hmm. But no, Thor number one for me. Alright then. And, uh, I'm guessing Thor number one is your, yours as well. It, is the book I'm looking forward to most this week. You pulled ahead again, Joe. Though, I do have a question for you when it comes to this. I want you to tell me when you read Detective Comics 982 how it was. Okay. Because I tapped out. I did not like the ending of the Tinian run. And I just, it to me, it limped to an ending and then we have somebody coming on now which i guess is only a four-part story um because they said on twitter or something like the previews has the end of my you know story in detective and i'm like all right i limped to the end of detective with tinian's run i don't know if i want to do four issues of this person i don't know who's taking it over after that so i'm going by what you tell me detective is whether or not i'm going to grab it next week and i'll be honest with you I agree that I did not love the end of Kinian's run. I know that you're saying that it limped to the end. Mm-hmm. I feel as though when you had uh, when you had the heel turn of well, not so much as the heel turn, but when Batwoman and Batman have the definitive split, mm-hmm. you could have wrapped things up a lot neater after that. And I felt that it kind of dragged on a little bit longer than it should have. I know you're saying limped, but I just felt as though they're like, well. It's two issues a month. Let's kind of stretch things out a little bit. Like you could have, they could have ended it with the end of all the Clayface. Um, what was the not spoiler, but you know who I mean, right? The uh, Kane, uh, Kane's daughter, like that Batgirl version, right? Cassandra, Cassandra Kane. Like you could have ended the book with the resolution of that. You could have ended the book with the whole thing of Batwoman definitively, you know turning on Team Batman and kind of wrapping things up even over in her book with, like, that storyline, right? And kind of moved on to other things. It's a new creative team. 
The majority of Detective Comics was very strong, and it's a new creative team. I'm going to give it a shot. Fair enough. When I say limped, to me, I'm being generous. Okay. With how that book ends. So now, it's unfair to the next creator, but that the ending of that book left such a bad taste in my mouth that I'm like, oh, I don't want, I'm just, it's easier to drop. I should be, you know, giving the next guy a chance, but Batman is so good that that's my Batman fix. I get you. So I need either someone to tell me it's really, really good, or, like, if you come back and say it's okay or above average, then it's not happening. If you tell me it's amazing, then maybe. Well, you know the code of how discussing books on the show works, so we'll cover that next week. Or right. maybe we like won't. I said, I'm just saying, if it would, we had to do it off camera, well, I'll do it there. Right. Mike, I'd be right. And, of course, I forgot to mention, uh, you know, attempting to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I'm in the lead now with two, and the running dollar amount of how much we've spent on comics uh, so far in the calendar year 2018, less bags and backs. Yes. Boards, bags and boards, right? Bags and backs. Um, while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out everything that Todd and I have done on the internet that is comic book related. I get out there a little bit more, so a lot of my stuff is spread out. But all the stuff that I'm most proud of, like this podcast... Longbox Heroes After Dark, Todd and Joe Have Issues. All that stuff exists over at longboxheroes.com. Of course, you can always click on a little store button and purchase shirts and stickers and pins with our fancy logo on them. Uh, or you can help us out by clicking on our Amazon link across the top of the page. Costs you nothing extra. Gives us a little bit of a kickback. Makes Todd feel good at the end of every month when I send him that ka of his cut of the money from uh, whatever we get from our Amazon click-through, and uh, some of the notable purchases this past week, Todd. Uh, mm -hmm. Someone purchased uh, something called While We're At It by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. I think it's an album. Okay. Uh, someone also purchased the 8-Bit Adventures for Pathfinder, which I think is some sort of role-playing game. And, uh, you say so. right, someone also purchased the Snoring Chin Snap, Chin Strap CPAP system by Bossa Snooze Sleep Snoring Aid Stop Snoring Mask, adjustable snore relief device for natural sleep, snoring solutions for mouth breathing. I just wanted to mention that in there. And if you do yourself a favor and just go, uh, Run that through Amazon snoring chin strap just to see what this looks like. I defy anyone to wear this thing and actually be able to sleep. Did you know Bossa Snooze was my rap name? No, I didn't. Yeah, it was. I gave that up when, you know, I did too well. I thought it was tone deaf. Uh, it was T-Money, the one-man billion-dollar industry. Oh. Now, two of the other things that were purchased were things that I thought I purchased. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that what I purchased doesn't get, uh, credit on our Amazon click-through. Mm -hmm. Uh, someone purchased shower drain covers for catching hair. Oh, you are hairy. And someone also purchased the father-son hair drain clog remover Whoa. drain and snake cleaning tool. <laughs> oh, God. That is a hairy person who purchased those things, and I commend you as a fellow hairy person. Mmm. Can't wait to eat after this podcast. Yes. Hopefully. You have some uh, lo mein noodles or something like that to chow down yes. on? Yes. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. 
So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, we did. Um, super contributor Euronymous uh, dropped a Doug Hopes uh, sketch card of the Lord of the Seas. I don't know who the – doesn't look like Aquaman to me, <laughs> but I'm guessing he does He does with the seas, he lords over them. And also from Tristan Crocker, who is Dirt Eep, I guess is his Twitter name, their Twitter name. Um, there is a box brown Andre the Giant from a doodle in the Andre the Giant Life and Legend book. And also a Steve Lieber doodle of Boomerang in a, I think, a Superior Foes of Spider-Man, either comic or trade or something like that. Uh, that looks like a trade. Right, I couldn't tell on the cover, you know what I mean? But uh, either way, really cool. Steve Lieber, someone I want to get something from. Um, Andre the Giant, that's wrestling stuff. The less said, the better. Um, and that, but I will admit that Lord of the Seas looks really, really cool. Uh, so yeah, that box brown Andre the Giant thing is really, really good. Uh, and again, thanks everyone for uh, showing off your fancy art that you got, had commissioned, purchased. Or uh, even did yourself. All of that stuff is always so fun and cool to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, before we get into, I guess, movie and TV discussion. Right. Uh, just kind of giving everyone, like, the heads up that we're getting into that conversation right now. Uh, we're going to start with Todd going to see Deadpool 2. Right. Uh, I did not and will not see Deadpool 2, at least not in this lifetime. Was it everything you hoped and dreamed it would be? It was. I thought it was really good. Basically, if you enjoyed the first Deadpool, they Man. give you... I wasn't asking you, son. Let me, let me, give me the microphone. Is it, is it somebody else on the show? That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but if you enjoyed uh, Deadpool, I would say go see it because it's ju- to me it was almost just as good... Um, but I think the first one was, as I watched the movie, I'm like, the first was a little better because it was fresh. What you were getting, you were like, okay, this is what the character is. This is the feel of the movie. And, you know, I think there's always, if they give you the same quality for the second thing, it's always a little bit less, if that makes any sense, because there's no newness to it. Um, or there's less new newness to it. So I, that's the only thing that it was. Otherwise, I think all the, the the hits were there, the same you know amount of jokes. There was way more swearing, so that was yes. good. Yes, right. Wait, wait. I'm gonna get to that as we go. Um, the one thing that I did not, I thought was the least uh, from last movie to this one was T.J. Miller. I think T.J. Miller was maybe phoning it in really hard. Um, or maybe he was on something. I don't know. T.J. Miller just seemed really off to me for the for the movie. He wasn't funny, and I'm not even looking back by what he did. I'm just like, I don't know. The character just seemed off. But there is a great scene where Deadpool might be dying. Spoiler alert! And he's saying goodbye to everybody, and he even asks Colossus to swear just one time just one time and Colossus does it and uh, you know, and, and Deadpool's like, great, good job, you know, have fun in, in hell. And I'm like, this is the best. 
Colossus said the granddaddy of them all words. So I'm like, I wish Joe was here watching it with me. But I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was almost as good as one. Until, Joe, there's a moment where Deadpool is uh, doing a group with his X-Force team, and they're jumping out of a helicopter to attack this trans prison transport. And Thunderstruck by ACDC starts playing, and it oh. made it the best comic book movie ever made. <laughs> So that's when it went from really good to, wait a minute, let me say that, to the Citizen Kane of movies. Like, just better than Citizen Kane. So I was laughing. And there was a bunch of gags and cameos. And uh, at one point there's a character called the Vanisher, and he's invisible, so you can't see him. And they jump out of the plane, and there's a great gag where you keep hearing that there's a wind advisory before they jump out of the airplane or the helicopter. And they all jump out, and tragedy befalls everybody who jumps out of the the helicopter but Deadpool and Domino, because her powers are luck-based, which is great because they just keep saying how how lazy of a rider you are if you're luck if you have luck based powers, but they all, they all die horribly. Shatterstar, Bedlam, and the Vanisher hits power lines. And when he hits power lines, you can see him because otherwise he's been invisible throughout the, the movie. And it's Brad Pitt. And I thought that was like really cool. And, there, and I think, uh, uh, who's, who was, uh, in, uh, the Ben Affleck and, uh, Matt Damon was in it for a second, uh, as a, as a cameo. And I prefer, I actually prefer, uh, Josh Brolin. When it comes to comic rules, it goes, I prefer his cable to his Thanos by a smidge. And then his Jonah Hex is way, way down on the list. So it was a fun movie. I really enjoyed it. So, um, we're in spoiler discussion, of course, because we're talking about movies and TV. Right. Um, I knew Brad Pitt was in the movie. Right. I didn't know that he played a character. Right. I thought it was going to be like a similar gag to the uh, Hugh Jackman gag from the previous movie. Right. Hugh Jackman was in this movie, too. Oh, he was. Yeah, because the after credit scene is hysterical. He, he gets... D- Deadpool gets a hold of... Long story short, there's a fridging in this, too, Joe. That oh, gets, no. That gets revoked because of Cable's time-traveling uh, wristband. Um, so that's the whole point of the movie is his girlfriend gets killed and he goes on a revenge spree. But then at the end of the movie, he, he steals Deadpool's, which doesn't work anymore, time band. And he goes through time and he ends up saving her. So she lives, but then he goes to the scene and they just take the scene from Wolverine origins where Wolverine's going to fight Deadpool with the mouth sewn up and everything. Mm. And it's that scene. And he's like, Oh, they finally found a way to keep you from talking. And Deadpool shows up, kills that Deadpool. He's like, I'm just fixing the timeline. It's all good. And he goes, he does a couple other things. And then he goes and they have a shot of real Ryan Reynolds, not fake Deadpool, Ryan Reynolds. And he's holding the script to green lantern. And he's like, finally, I've made it to the big time. And then Deadpool just shoots him in the head. So Green Lantern never happened. Hmm. So I don't even know how you're remembering it. And a couple other cameos is there's the uh, 
the new X-Men teams, like uh, the Quicksilver and blah, 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 because he's like, all I get every time I come to the mansion is just you and that mega girl. He's like, her name is so long to even remember, and that's it. They can't throw me a few of, like, you know, the original X-Men, and they do an over-his-shoulder shot, and the all the new X-Men are in a room, and they're, like, slowly closing the door so he can't see them. Um, like I said, I had a blast. All joking aside, I, I say I have I had no love for Deadpool from the comics, so I have no preconceived notions. I loved that first movie. I had just as much fun or a little bit less until the song with Deadpool two. So, like, I, my review is: if you enjoyed the first one, go see the second one. You're gonna get what you paid for. Right. So that may have went too long for your taste. No, it's I quite know. all right. You and could. I didn't get robbed while I watched it. Oh, good. Next time. Yeah. Next time, send me a text. You know, make sure that you get fleeced. Okay. So, uh, we are going to discuss Cloak and Dagger, the newest Marvel TV show on the Freeform Network. Now, I just want to say this going into this. Now, Freeform was previously known as <laughs> ABC Family. Is that correct? <laughs> Yes, it was, and so, I know where you're going. Was, being the operative word. So, being that it was like, oh, formerly ABC Family, I'm like, oh, okay, well, there's my uh, kind of bar for what sort of show we're going to be watching. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, Todd, this was a dirty show full of swears. <laughs> yes, it was. It went to the Deadpool school of uh, oh, broadcasting. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's swears in the Marvel stuff. There's not swears in the Marvel TV stuff, but I guess... You could just do whatever you want on cable anymore. You can, except for in Preacher. Oh, okay. Well, no, that show doesn't exist. I think they canceled it after the first. Actually, it was after the second, the first episode of the second season they canceled it. So I think uh, Deadpool went back in time and stopped it. Mm-hmm. Then you know what? Then if he did that, if uh, movie Deadpool stopped the Preacher TV show from existing, I'd give him another chance. Okay. Cool. So, this is Tyrone Johnson, Tandy Bowen, Cloak and Dagger, as we know them in the comic books. Uh, They're both kids having some issues with their family, whether Tandy, who is an only child, maybe neglected by her parents, maybe her parents are having issues in other places. Uh, Tyrone is the younger brother. To an older brother who's kind of skirting on the edge of becoming a criminal. There's accidents that befall them both at the same time. They both end up in the same spot. This is how they become empowered. But they do not unleash their powers again until by yet another chance meeting, they touch hands at a party. And then their lives are changed forever. But they still aren't superheroes as they're still trying to resolve the existing issues in their own individual lives. Right. Do you feel as though that was a good explanation of what this show is? Pretty, pretty, uh, a quick explanation. Right. So you, you got a chance to watch both episodes, uh, I guess thoughts, feelings, concerns, and then I'll kind of get into my, my stuff on this here as well. Okay. Just one question before I finish. Did you not see both episodes? I watched both episodes. Okay. Cause the way you said it was like, you saw both episodes. I was like, did he only see one? Okay. No, but I saw I saw both. Just asking, what did I think? I think this is my third favorite show of the Netflix Marvel shows. 
Um, all joking aside, I feel like this would have slid right into the Netflix shows and fit perfectly. I think it was well written. I like the way the story's going. There was a lot of dodge and weaves fake outs with some stuff that, that I really enjoyed. Um, I like the, the, the difference in the characters that you think, obviously the, the Tyrone looks like he's going to go down that path, but he changes and he becomes, other than being angry about what happened to his brother, he is on the, the, the right path and the rich white girl is down, going down the wrong path. Uh, obviously she's not rich by the time we get to her future life. I just like the, the uh, what you think was going to happen kind of doesn't, and it goes that way. It goes a different way. I like that, uh, for some weird reason, which there is not an explanation yet, occasionally when each of these characters, cloak or dagger, touches someone, they have visions. I like that even though cloak is the darker character and, uh, uh I'm trying to say, uh, dagger is like the, the light powered characters. She's more depressed. She's having visions of everything happy in her world while she's everything's raining down around her. And uh, Cloak, who's more of an upbeat kind of person, even though you know he he lost his brother, is having these dark visions whenever he touches anybody. And I don't know. I just overall, I think it was very well written, very well directed. The only problem I have with it is that if someone didn't tell me. That Cloak and Dagger was set in New Orleans or down south, I would not know. I would think it was in a grubby uh, suburb of New York because everybody talks like us, like a northeast biased accent. Nobody has a southern accent anywhere that we see throughout these episodes. And I'm like, this is taking place down south? I don't think so. Right, I'm with you when they said toward the back half of the second episode that this was, I just want to get out of New Orleans, and I'm like, oh, they're in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They could have thrown in, like, one guy. like you throw. But then on the flip side, I'm kind of glad they didn't. I'm, I'm kind of glad they didn't um, throw in the token Cajun guy or gal well, or whatever. Not so much the token accent... But everybody talks exactly like, like I'm just saying, like maybe a southern accent, not a, not a you know token like you know Cajun accent. But then even too, just I've been down like to New Orleans, like there's a feel there that is not anywhere in this show. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it just feels like New Orleans has a has a look and a feel. Not it's not any town USA, which is what this show feels like. If that makes any sense, right? It, 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 nothing about it feels New Orleans. Like this could have been taking place in Georgia or Cedar Rapids, Iowa, or you know wherever. Literally, like Seattle. Like right. for all I know, not enough hipsters though. So for me, I understand the purpose of a slow build. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to see them be superheroes already. God, when stop. are they going to get to the fireworks factory, Todd? <laughs> I need to, we need to hit our quota for Simpsons references on this episode, Todd. Right. Um, my take on that is I like the slow burn. I like uh, getting there, and I'm fine with it. I want because we obviously see that they're connected because they keep running into each other. Not their powers are, you know, uh, 
activated. And as I was talking with the fancy gentleman today, like all I, and I'm not a, I'm a long time reader of comics. I know nothing about uh, cloak and dagger for the most part. And Adam put it best when he said, all I know about cloak is that when any giant event happens, like civil war or anything else, he's always their transportation. (laughs) Like It's like, Oh, we need to get, from this to this, and at some point, Cloak is taking a giant group of people uh, of the A-listers to mm-hmm. fight somewhere, and that's that's all I know. But I, like I said, I like some of the twists. I like when uh, Tandy needs all that money to get out of town because of what she did, and she goes to the wedding to grift, and she, she's like all that stuff. Like we're we know she's a bad person, but it, we see signs of goodness and you think she's going to change. But in the end, it's all just like con man stuff. Like when she's ripping up the papers that say love at the wedding, you think she's mad because they say love. And then you find out all it was, was just to make paper to, to when she swaps out the money that the bag still feels like it has money. And I'm like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant writing right there. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of like bait and switch kind of stuff that I mean in a good way. Yes. So, again, I, I did definitely enjoy the show. I agree with you. I like everything that they've set up with this. And the other thing is, I think even if you came into this show as the most ardent of Cloak and Dagger fans, mm-hmm. I think because they've mucked with their origins and their story and who and what they are in the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. it's okay that this is yet another different origin story of theirs. Right. And I think they're doing the slow burn, Joe, because they didn't know whether they'd be in humans or mutants. Oh, well, see, that's the thing. They're neither right now. They were just affected by whatever that explosion was over at Rocks and Chemicals, where in their original origin story was they were both teen runaways who had drugs tested on them, and that's how they got their superpowers. Then it was changed to... That it wasn't the drugs that gave them their powers, it was, it awakened their latent mutant ability inside of them. Then they walked that back recently, and they just kind of said like, yeah, we kind of just sort of lied about being mutants because we wanted to be on X-Men teams. Right, and now they'll be mutants again. See, now maybe that explosion at the, the, the the, the oil drill out in the sea just jump-started their latent mutant abilities. When, when... Disney gets the Fox rights, maybe we'll find out Cloak and Dagger are mutants. Maybe. I gotta look into that, by the way. But I enjoyed it. Check it out. Um, You know, I don't know uh, how you get on Freeform or whatever it is. I know you Mm -hmm. can go to their website, I think. Right. But, uh, yeah, check it out. It was good. Uh, it's only ten episodes. The first two are out there. I think they're on the Hulu as well. And uh, I actually saw people, you know, limitedly uh, not comic book type folks on uh, Facebook and other forms of social media talking about how they enjoyed the show as well. Like, non-comic book people saying, like, hey, this was a fun show. It, it really uh, exceeded my expectations. And that's definitely my- what I would say. It, it exceeded my- the expectations. Right, and I'll, I'll say this, and then I'm done. Literally going into this, I was like, oh, I love this podcast, and I love reviewing stuff, I love reading comics, but I was like, another comic book show, this is going to feel like work. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we just came off of Flash, 
you know, it, not that I didn't like any of that stuff, but it's just like, oh man, like I have to do another one. I have no interest in Cloak and Dagger as a comic, but we're gonna do this show. Uh, if this show doesn't like, if this show doesn't wow me, I'm talking with Joe, and I'm like, eh, I'll take the break. We'll take, you know, we'll have, we'll end the shows early. This, this, sh- these shows exceeded these shows. Krypton it for me. They totally like I had low expectations for Krypton and I had low expectations for Cloak and Dagger and they both meted or exceeded as we talk about in comics both you know my expectations so I'm happy with Krypton and Cloak and Dagger. All That's right. the best way to put it. Right. So anything else we want to discuss with this? No, I think we're good. All right. So closing out episode 402. Thanks everyone for listening. For Todd, this is Joe saying we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. <laughs>